2: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. We help organizations and their leaders transform to solve their biggest problems and leverage their biggest opportunities. We do this through a combination of services that include executive advisory, consulting, coaching, and training. I am also a regular contributor to Forbes.com the author of an award-winning book series co-author focusing on helping leaders innovate and also transform their organizations. And I serve on the faculty or adjunct faculty of universities in the US and Germany. Today I am delighted that our guest is Victor Prince. He's a leadership author, trainer, and speaker. His book, Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results, was named a top 20 leadership book for 2016. Victor has a 20 plus year career as a leader in business and government. As the chief operating officer of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, he led a division of 300 people. As a Bain & Company consultant, he helped clients across the U.S. and Europe develop successful business strategies. Victor has an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. So welcome, Victor.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: You're welcome. So the goal of this show is helping leaders innovate how they lead. So for our listeners, many of you are already highly successful leaders who are working in times that are changing dramatically, and what we hope for you is that... You use the opportunity of listening to this show to identify something you can do differently. So my goal is that you change a behavior that gives you a return on the investment of time you spend listening to this show. So as part of the thought leadership series, Victor will talk about the power of applying the leadership matrix to team management. He'll describe what it is, how it works, and how it will help you get the best out of your leadership team and out of yourself. So, Victor, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll move into the questions. Sure.
3: Uh, So, as you mentioned in the bio, so I've had about a 20-plus year career in government and private sector, and um, you know, increasing responsibility. My my last role was as the COO of um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I was one of the founding members that helped build that new regulatory agency. And then uh, then my first book came out last year, and, and uh, so now I'm in the uh, leadership uh, leadership book business.
2: Okay. So let's move into what is the book, Lead Inside the Box? And for some of our listeners, you heard Mike Figliolo talk about this, your co-author, a uh, year and a half ago when the book just came out, I think.
3: Yep, last summer, yeah.
2: So what problem does this book help solve?
3: You know, as as uh, as I went through my career, I had jobs of increasing uh, responsibility, and I found there was really two problems. One was the expectations that I faced always just ratcheted up, right? So it was always get, you know do get more sales, get more, hit a higher target. But at the same time, you know there, there weren't any more hours in the day, so I had more demands with a fixed kind of um, ability to meet them. So that was the core problem: is how do I how do I get more with kind of the existing time and energy that I do have? And that's that's where really the idea of the um, the leadership matrix and leadership capital popped out.
2: So, can you tell us a little bit more about what is the leadership matrix?
3: Yeah. So, the, the leadership matrix it starts with this idea of leadership capital, which is when you think about um, the job you do as a leader of a team, uh, you have you have fixed resources in terms of time. So, there's only 168 hours a week, and you probably um, you don't want to spend more than that. You want to balance your life, so you can't. You're you're kind of set with a, a fixed amount of time that you can invest in your team. Uh, and also your energy. So there's only so much stress and other things that that you want to do. That so, if unless you want to just burn the candle at both ends, you've got to be smart in how you uh, invest that that time and energy you have. The, the the concept that we call leadership capital. So that's that's kind of the first thought that you have to. The time and energy you have is your most precious resource, and you have to be smart with with how you spend that. And then uh, from that, the leadership matrix kind of popped out, which is. It looks at um, the team that you have, and it, and it looks at the input that you're putting into your different team members, the amount of leadership capital you're investing, and then it looks at the output that you get out of those individual team members. So it, it kind of creates the uh, a two-by-two matrix that talks about um, the return the investment versus input that you get out of your, uh, your folks.
2: Cool. And so that's what you're calling the leadership matrix.
3: Yep, and that's the leadership matrix.
2: I want to go back for a second. How did you come up to the with the title, Lead Inside the Box?
3: Yeah, you know, we we, bought it, we, uh, we thought about it several different ones, and one was just to call it the leadership matrix, but then, uh, you know, we wanted to really challenge people because you, you think about lead, you know, think outside the box, and then the point is the leadership matrix is the box, and then so it's kind of a way to to um, you know, be, be a little bit uh, counterintuitive and, and spark some ideas about lead inside the box because, it, you know, people... You see, you hear that and say that doesn't, you know, that, that's not usually how you hear. You usually hear think outside the box. So we were talking about leading with the box.
2: Uh, got it. Okay, because I teach a lot about innovation. So I talk about outside of the box. So it does seem counterintuitive. And what I hear is I can balance my innovation with just solid execution. And in fact, using tools like this, I would call it a liberating structure. If I do this well, I will actually have more time.
3: Yeah. And so if you, yep, yes, it's, it's it's all about working smarter, not harder, and leading smarter, not harder.
2: Okay. So can you give us now a little bit more information about this matrix?
3: Sure. Um, so maybe the, the easiest way to, to start is just talking about the two uh, axes. So on the on the um, on the one axis, we've got the amount of time that uh, that leaders are putting into their team members, and that's. Um, so it's leadership capital investors, and and it has on one side it's high, and, and the other side it's low, and that's on the the horizontal axis. On the vertical axis is the results that your team members are delivering. So whether they're high or low, and then what we do is is we um, have a series of questions in the book, a very simple survey, where people think about each member of their team and they answer some very simple questions about the results that they get they get out of them and the inputs that they have to um, put into them, and then it places mm-hmm. them places them on this matrix. Um, and then it kind of pops out. There's of these. It's a two by two, so there's four different quadrants, and each quadrant has two different mm-hmm. types of, of people. So maybe the easiest way is to talk about. Um, I can start with the exemplars. This is kind of the ideal um, you know, quadrant that you have. Uh, of These types of employees. So these are the folks that you don't put a lot of time and energy in. They're kind of self starters, but you get you get really great results out of. So these are the folks that you know, you, you love having on your team and and um, and you manage them. And uh, so they come in, in two different flavors. So one is what we call rising stars. And these are the people that you, you have them on your team and you know that they're, they're going to get promoted. They're on a very fast career track. So um, your, your goal with them is, is to how do, you, how do you make sure that you get great results out of them, but also you know, make sure that you keep them in your organization um, so they don't, you don't lose them in, in the organization. And the other type are what we call these domain masters. And these are the folks that are really, really good at the job they do um but they don't really want to get promoted you know they're happy maybe they don't want to be a manager or something like that so how you how you lead them is very different than how you lead these rising stars so that's the um uh, that's the top box
2: okay um so so it'd be nice if we could just stay in the top box and that's all we had but uh, <laughs> <laughs> presumably there are three other boxes in this quadrant matrix
3: yeah, you know it's kind of interesting because one question I always get is, well, geez, why don't why don't we just you know hire only exemplars, these rising stars and others? And, and the answer to that is, you know, it'd be great if you could, but in the real world, you you often end up inheriting a team, and you don't have the luxury of you know of waiting a year or two to re- to you know recruit the ideal team. Um, you kind of work with what you got. So that's that's one of the benefits of of having this. Um, um, the framework like this because you know just sticking with that exemplar box for a second. So it's great that you have these folks, but they do need leadership from you. So with the with the domain masters, for example, um, it's really easy to neglect these folks because they're not they're not asking you for promotion. You know they're really good at what they do, but you, you can kind of forget to make sure that they know you appreciate the work they, they do. Uh, make sure that you, you um, do things like um, help them clear hurdles and. And other things, so, that, so they enjoy the work they're doing, so they can stay there forever and keep producing these great results for you. So that, it's an easy trap for leaders just to kind of take them for granted that that's one of the points in the book. About, here's what they do need. They're not, they're not squeaky wheels, but they do, need, they do need different things from you. And the same thing with, with rising stars. It's kind of interesting there, which is um, it's counterintuitive, but one of the things you need to do as a leader there is kind of acknowledge that they're not going to be in, on your team in that role forever. They're, they're on a trajectory up. And your role is, it's, it's, it's basically to help them leave your team in some ways. So they're going to leave your team because they're going to get promoted, they're going to get uh, somewhere else. But what you want to do is you want to make sure that you find chances for them to grow either on your team or somewhere else in your organization so they don't you know, have to leave your, your whole organization to get that bigger growth opportunity. So that's kind of the you know, some of the insights on how to lead these different types. And that's just in that, that top box.
2: So can you give us an example or a story of a rising star, and presumably you were that guy and I was that that <laughs> woman, right? So we know what that is, and we couldn't wait to get promoted and move on, and we probably had best bosses and worst bosses. So what does that best boss look like for a rising star?
3: Yeah, you know, um, so it's a good point. So just in these boxes, so I've I've been in pretty much all these boxes in my career, so people move through and all that, and, and uh, so okay. is Mike. and. You know, so it's, it's not like you're permanently in one of these boxes it depends on the situation you're in but you know th- so the rising star you know uh, I think a lot of folks have that sometimes so a common thing that you get uh, particularly is if someone's going to go to business school to get an MBA um, you know there's there's a difference between if, if the manager knows that they're going to go get their MBA is is you know do they acknowledge that do they perhaps help them get into the best school or do they just kind of view that as bad attrition and, and ignore it and and just mm-hmm. get surprised when someone shows up and says they're going to going to business school, you know, in a, in, in two months. So that, that's a common one that you get, you know, with, particularly with folks at the beginning of their career. Treating it as
2: disloyalty or treating yeah. it as a great opportunity, mentoring.
3: Yeah. So you know, with me when I you know I worked for a few years before I got my business my, my MBA and and uh, my organization. Um, you know, they, they kind of said, you've got an open door here. You know, we'd love to have you come back. You know, we understand if you don't, but we'd love to have you come back. So that was, that was kind of a good way to do it versus saying, oh, I can't believe you're being disloyal. So that's one example.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And again, we've seen, because it's expensive, to train it and launch people, and to your point, we interviewed Tylee, one of um, who runs a, a company, SHI International, and, and she talked about especially with millennials, because they change jobs more often, that they they will often come to SHI, they'll get great training, they'll go off to their next thing, and pretty often they come back. They've learned more. They're more well-rounded. I think some of the large consulting firms are now experiencing that as well. We leave, yeah. go work for clients, and then we come back.
3: Yeah, and that's, it's a big thing. You know, I worked for a Bain & Company, the big consulting firm, and mm-hmm. they, they kind they know that's going to go on. They, in fact, they view it as a success when they've got people who get you know, recruited away by their clients rather. So they, they do a good job of building an alumni kind of feeling for that to say, hey, you're, once you're in the Bain family, you're always in the Bain family. We'd love to have you come back. Um, and it's, it's smart not just because they might have these folks might come back to be workers at Bain someday, but they, they also could be clients. So investing in that alumni relationship is pretty useful with Rising Stars.
2: And that was true with us at Accenture as well, that, that yeah. they wanted us to become clients because the assumption was we <laughs> would hire our old firm. Yeah. right. It's kind of a, a brilliant option to build business.
3: Yeah. yeah and we, in many ways, the whole, the whole consulting industry is built on how do you manage Rising Stars in some ways.
2: Well, and for many of us, those rising stars have opened doors for us in other ways as well. They'll help us recruit staff You know, as they go on. that Those relationships are awfully valuable.
3: Oh, you bet. In fact, that's one of the things that, um, that we talk about in the book, too, which is a really useful thing with your exemplars, both your rising stars and your domain masters, is getting them involved in recruiting and training. Because one thing you find in, in the world is A-team players like to work for A-team. They recruit A-team people. But mm-hmm. it's but B team players tend to recruit C team people, you know because they maybe they view them as competition or others. So if you can get your your exemplars out there representing your organization as you recruit, that's a real big asset to get those those defined other rising stars.
2: How about domain masters? Do you use them in recruiting also?
3: Yeah, you do. And you use them a lot recruiting, but also in um in um, a training. So in recruiting, it could be useful. So sometimes domain masters are, you know, they're great at what they could do and they could easily get promoted, but, you know, maybe they just, you know, work takes a they put work in a, uh, in a priority in their, in their overall life where maybe they don't want to take on the added responsibility. So, you know, if, if you're looking at maybe people reentering the workforce or something like that, they can be great people to say, hey, this is an organization that actually values me kind of doing what I do and, and not necessarily, you know, um, you know, Taking on the added responsibility and, and mm-hmm. getting on the fast track. So, you know, that could be you know, a lot of times that could be, you know, com- people coming back and starting a family or other things like that that they could be very useful for in recruiting.
2: So, it sounds like as a domain master that could be a temporary. So, I have, um, we recently put my mom in assisted living. Mm-hmm. I, I needed to refocus for a period of time because there was a significant process and I was managing it and that just had to happen. So, at that point, I probably would have fallen in the bucket of domain master that I only had so much to give. And beyond that, it was family.
3: yeah, because it you know it's a lot like you know good organizations won't say, hey, you're you know you're one of our top players, and we need you to take this next job managing you know, managing you know a bunch of people or whatever. So it's, some people just don't want that or, they, or it doesn't fit in with them right then. So it, being able to figure out how to lead those folks and recognize they have those needs, um you know it's something that it's not always common sense that the companies do
2: cool so this is really helpful we're going to go to break now and we'll come back talking to Victor Prince about the other three quadrants those that are not exemplars join us momentarily
4: Looking for exciting video content, live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica.
2: Today, we are uh, joined by Victor Prince, and he's talking about his book, Lead Inside the Box. We just finished talking about the matrix, two-by-two matrix or quadrants that look at employees and specifically based on how I rate them, then we decide how to invest our management and leadership energy. So we've talked about exemplars. Let's walk through the other three boxes, Victor. Where do you want to start?
3: Sure. The uh, the next box is uh, what we call high cost producers. So these are the folks that, like exemplars, they produce great results, but uh, they take a lot of your time and energy as a leader. They take a lot of right. your leadership capital investment. Um, so they're they're good to have in your team because you're getting results from them. But but, they, but you do got to lead them quite differently. Um, and they come in two different varieties. So the first one are steamrollers. So these are the folks that get great results, but they just they end up you know creating a lot of friction on the way to those results, and they run over people's mm-hmm. toes and you know, it cause bruised egos and that kind of stuff. So, how you manage them, you've got to give them the feedback to let them know that they're making these results, and then and really to hold them accountable for, for, um, for kind of lowering the friction that they do incur in doing that. And then the other type of high cost producer is what we call a squeaky wheel. So these are these are folks who produce results, but they they just demand a lot of your time and energy to do that. So these are the people that, you know, whenever they they've got to make a decision, they're at your door asking you what what they should do or. You know, they they constantly need more uh, attention from you to get the results. So you've got to learn how to wean these folks off that um, off that behavior. Because what's happening a lot with the squeaky wheels is you think you're helping them out when you're answering their questions, but a lot of times you're holding them back because you know they they they're not growing if they're not taking the risks and doing the uh, making the decisions and and taking the actions on their own. If you keep holding their hands, they're never going to grow. Um, and then what's interesting too sometimes with them, the reason that the squeaky wheels are asking for your help is. Yeah, you know, they they know the answer, but they're looking for you to kind of take responsibility for it. So if they can say, "Well, you told me to do that," you know that uh, that helps them out as well.
2: So that sounds squeaky wheel sounds like a very specific kind of squeaking, that I'm it almost an insecurity and looking for reinforcement or a lack of skill. If you tell me what to do, I'll go do it and I'll do it well. Versus the the whiners and complainers. Yeah, so squeaky
3: wheels, it's it's uh, you know, it's really do they not have maybe they're missing some confidence. So mm-hmm. you know, they're good at what they do, but they maybe they like confidence and they just, you know, they want to you know, test everything with you for it. Or as I mentioned, you know, sometimes they're they're managing you, which is they're making you do their <laughs> job for them and they're they're making you take responsibility. So yeah, you know, sometimes it's it's they need a little training or other thing, and sometimes you just need to kind of see see what they're up to.
2: And then the the steamrollers sound like a very different kind of intervention that I'm having to manage the the fallout if I don't manage them more tightly?
3: Yeah, so steamrollers, um, with them, they, they can come in some different things. So the first thing you have to underst- work with them is to understand, do they know that they're leaving all this friction in their wake? Or um, and If they don't know, then that's just a matter of like giving them the feedback and making sure they understand, um, here's all the feedback I'm getting from you, and here's all the messes that I end up fixing for you. Um, so it's it's make, putting that back on their plate to make them deal with that and make them get better about not creating those problems or solving those problems when they do create them. Um, but then then the whole other type of steamrollers. If you got folks who you know run over all these toes, but they just don't care, then then you you know, you've got to deal with them a little bit different way and make sure that they they have to pay the price of their consequence of their uh, of their actions.
2: I, I worked with a physician as his coach, top notch. A cardiovascular surgeon really well-known well-respected but his behavior with his team was not always exceptional yeah and and it and certainly the health of the clients wasn't impacted but the quality of working experience was
3: yeah and that's a that's a big thing because because um, it happens a lot you have these real high performers and they just you know, because they're not feeling the pain of their activities, they keep doing it. because so, mm-hmm. what happens is, is, bosses are going there and, and you know, uh, smooth, you know, smoothing all the bad feelings and you know, and you know, apologizing for that person. But what it, what a leader needs to do is put that onus on on the on the steamroller themselves to say, hey, you've mm-hmm. you've you've ticked off a bunch of these people. You got to go in there and, and apologize and, and talk to them and and ease the feelings and all that. I'm not going to do that for you anymore.
2: Well, in this case, it was an awareness and kind of an old school mindset. I get stuff done, get out of my way.
3: Yeah. And what, because what happens as a leader, though, what you got to do is, you know, people have tunnel vision. They say, I'm getting my job done. I'm great at what I do, but they don't see all the bodies that they're leaving in the wake. And you you as a leader have to be the one to do that because, you know, it's impacting your team. It may not be hurting those individual results, but it's having an impact on your other team members.
2: Yeah, we talk about innovating how we lead, and this is a perfect example, that it used to be okay and, and in fact, applauded that I steamroll people. And, And now what we've learned is employee engagement and people actually work harder for people who treat them with respect, not people who run them over. Yep, absolutely. So it adversely impacts the team if we've got these folks who persistently, not just on occasion, but persistently behave this way.
3: And, and then people will, you know, if they're, they're going to look to their manager because if the manager is not dealing with it, that then they're they're upset with the manager, right? So they may not say that to yeah. you, but 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 they clearly are seeing that as a lack of leadership.
2: Yeah. Then I become the bad boss.
3: <laughs> and you're also deserving the the steamroller too, because if if you're not giving them that feedback, they're never going to change.
2: Mm-hmm. So you got to do it. Cool. So then let's move to the next quadrant. So that's the first two. What's the third?
3: So those are the top two. And then, um, so now we're going to look at the folks that are low performing and then they come into two different boxes. So one of the interesting ones is there's low performers out there. So you're not getting great results out of them, but they're not taking a lot of your time. So they're they're kind of just, uh, they're low input, but but low output as well. Uh, so we call these the uh, passengers. you know, They're along for mm. the ride. And they, they come along in two different forms. So so one form is um, what we call the joy riders. So these are people <laughs> who come to work, have a lot of great energy, have a really good time at work, and, and they're always busy, but, they, but they're not doing what you need them to do. So they, these are the folks that are just, you know, they have, they have on all their own special projects or just the social butterflies at work and that type of thing. But, um, but, you know, they think they're busy, but you're not getting the results out of them. So your job as a leader with them is to really re- redirect that energy on, on doing what their job is supposed to be. Um, because, um, you know, someone else on your team is picking up their work for them and, and probably not happy with you for not, not doing it. So, you know, with the Joyrider, it's, it's really fun because they, they had that great energy and they can be really good performers if you just uh, really focus them on the job at hand. Um, and then the second type of passenger is what we call the stowaways. So these are interesting ones. These are the folks who show up to work, never get in trouble, Keep their head down, they're just there to to keep a paycheck, but they they don't produce any results, but they just you know they're they're trying to stay out of everyone's way uh, and just be invisible. So with these folks, uh, the key is to engage them because even though you know they're not taking a lot of your time, they're not causing problems, um, they're taking up a role on your team, a staff, you know a staff position that is not producing and and you need to have that produced because um, someone else is making up for their slack. So you've got to engage these folks to say, Hey, you know, here's here's the job that we have for you, and here's what you're producing. You know, we we need to have you produce this level, and, and you, I'm not going to let you slide anymore. And just be very upfront with them because their team members know they're not producing, and and they're you know they're looking to their leader
2: to fix that. And this is where you use solid performance management kind of tools. Setting goals, yeah. accountability, tracking—that stuff.
3: Yeah, and feedback and other things. Because what happens is a lot of stowaways—they're—they're they're good at what they do because they know that you know they've probably been in their job a long time through a few managers, and they're like, I just have to, you know, this manager might move on in, in two years, so I just have to, you know, to kind of see if I can I can slide for that. But um, as a manager, you, you kind of have a moral obligation to to leave your team in in better shape than you inherited it, even if you're not going to be there mm-hmm. forever. You know, so you, you do have to engage these folks because. Um, you know, and may, maybe there's reasons why they're not producing, but you just have to engage these folks because it's it's half about getting the results out of that person, the stowaway themselves. But the bigger thing is um, when you when you actually engage them, and and when the rest of the team sees that the boss is on duty and and holding people accountable, mm-hmm. it'll actually generate better results from everyone else because now they know that you've got a standard that you're that you're uh, mm-hmm. applying.
2: Yeah, I worked with a client, uh, and it was a fairly hostile environment uh, where when people would produce something they were criticized pretty extensively. If they did nothing, there seemed to be limited accountability and no criticism. So I saw people who had been incredibly talented early in their careers, I think turn into stowaways just because they had a boss who would scream and yell and belittle and, and some of that stuff. And so the team became fairly hostile to one another. Yeah, that's
3: unfortunate. Yeah, because it, it's sad because you know still ways, you know, at some point they they got their jobs so they're probably they probably do have skills and all that but they just you know they've lost motivation or or whatever so it's just it's just really engaging them to say hey what's up you know what why aren't you why aren't you doing why aren't you doing your job let's talk yeah. about that and figure out how we fix that.
2: Let me give one example just because it stuck out to me so much. Um, it was an IT organization. This was one of the directors. On the 360 under gets results, he had like a 3% out, one out of a 100 scale. He had like a wow. three. So wow. really, really bad. And yet in his spare time, and I know he wasn't doing this at work, he ran a charity that was um, raising money to cure cancer, and he was raising several hundred thousand dollars a year. So he had the capacity to do stuff. Yep. It just, he was such a terrible fit in this environment. And the team overall had less than a 10% score on getting results oh wow so, so it's it, interesting to how how the culture can also drive good people to underperform
3: yeah and you know at, at the end of the day i think people want to be good at their jobs you know I mm-hmm. think they want you know so it's like if you can help them you know if they know that you're going to hold them accountable in some ways they, they might be happy because they you know they want to be good at what they do
2: this gentleman i'm sure he is good was good i'm not working with him anymore. Um, and presumably was in a bit of a quandary at work because of the environment. Well, and he left. So that would say he was not a quandary and he found some place where he could contribute significantly more. So that's the ultimate measure of does this work for the stowaway? In yep. that one case, the answer is no. Yep. yep, yep. For other people, they may be happy hiding away. Yeah, yeah. So let's go to the fourth one then.
3: Sure, the fourth box are folks that don't produce uh, the results that you need, but they take a lot of your time as well. So it's kind of a, a, a double whammy. Uh, so mm-hmm. we call that box the detractors because they're actually mm-hmm. – they're detracting from the overall results that you get from your team. And they they come in two forms. So one is – and it's really a question of uh, do they have the skills or is it skill or will. So the the first one are just square pegs. So these are folks – who are just in the wrong job so maybe they got promoted too early maybe they got reorganized into a role that they weren't set up for or maybe they were just a great interview but you know, didn't have the skills to back it up so with them they're failing because they, they, they don't they're missing some of the key skills that they need to get there to do the job the way you need them to do it so with them it's all about mapping out here's the job that, that you're in here's the skills that you need let's talk about you know where do you have gaps because because you're, you're not hitting the results you need and then working with them to get um, to get them on a development plan to say you got to build these skills really quickly, um, or because the you know the the path that we're on now is not sustainable. Because um, if you're a square peg, once again, people want to be good at what they do, but also in today's environment, you know, oftentimes you're one reorganization away from um, you know from being the the person kind of who doesn't make it through a reorg or, mm-hmm. or or downsizing. So you actually owe it to square pegs to kind of be aggressive with them and tell them that. Yeah, you're know, you're not sustainable. We got to we have to fix this now. We got to put a set a time limit on that. And if you know, either got to get you up to speed in this job, or find a job where you can be good, because this is not sustainable long term for the organization, or for you in your
2: career. That's a great point because we often, I think all of us prefer to avoid complicated conversations. Yep. So, so if we frame it as my responsibility to them that that's a nice way for me to feel like I'm doing something good rather than, you know, beating up a puppy who's struggling. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, it's tough work, but you gotta have those conversations to help people know where where they need to get better. And it's you know, it's as much for them as for you.
2: Now you said there are two kinds. So
3: that's the square peg. What's the other one? The other one is what we call a slacker. So these are the people that have the skills but just don't aren't showing the will to do their job. So they're just you know, um, a lot of times these are the folks that, uh, you know, that would rather debate about what you're asking <laughs> them to do versus do it or, you know, they're they're always ready to talk about everyone else's job, but they never do their own job. Um, and with them, it's all about just understanding, you know, it's a question of motivation. And so understanding, yeah. you know, why aren't you focused? Why aren't you showing the will to get your job done? And, and maybe it's because someone else is stealing credit for their work or maybe it's a maturity issue or, or whatever it is, but you just kind of got to hone in on that as a leader and say, Hey, we need to fix this because you're not you know, even though you're you could be great at your job, but but what you're doing now, being smart is not the same as being effective. And we got to get you to, to produce results, not just be a smart person.
2: What's the solution with these guys? Cuz I I have one that can't comes to mind, and exiting was really the best option.
3: Yeah, so you know, I think it's getting to the core of of what they do and, and sometimes it's it's really career coaching because, you know, if these folks are at the early part of their career, you know, maybe they, you know, they think they don't understand what it takes to get um, to get to the, their goals they have. So you know, sit down with them, have a conversation, say, you know, where do you want to be in 10 years or five years? And then have a very um, open conversation with, like, here's here's what you're doing that's not going to get you in that job. So at your current rate, you're going to be doing, you know, this, this, or this. But you're not, here's what it takes to get to that next level. And kind of just being a career coach to them can help them kind of understand that where they do have to motivate or, or grow or other things. But uh, helping them say, they've got, you've got all the potential but you're not living up to it. And it's not just about this job. Mm. This is about your career. Let me help you in your career because you're not going to live up to your potential the way you're performing now.
2: Are there instances where they just aren't going to develop the will?
3: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately there are. So sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, it might come down to, hey, you know, you're I'm paying you to do this job, and, and you could knock it out of the park if you if you're trying, but you're not. And I need that job mm. done. So so if you can't do it, I'm gonna put you know we need to put you on a plan as well about. Here's, mm-hmm. you, we have to have a, a timeline to get this done. And if it doesn't get done, you know, you, we need to find an, another solution here. I need to get someone in the role who's going to do the job. Okay. So.
2: Yeah, and I'm, I'm not a fan of just throwing people off the bus and running them over on the way out. No, of but, course, but course not, think, yeah. <laughs> but I think there are times when people need to understand that it's a make or break, and it's doing your job is not optional. It's required.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you owe them that feedback because it's you know, because let's say that you, if you move on as a manager, maybe their next manager is going to do it in a much more, you know, blunt way with them. But you just owe it to them as well as to your own team.
2: You know, I've coached senior executives who they ended up getting exited because they didn't have these conversations. Like you've got yeah. just a team of people who aren't living up to potential, so you're not doing your job, and you're out of here, and we're going to get someone who can do it. So Absolutely. from a leadership perspective, it seems imperative that I manage or I get kicked out.
3: Yeah. And also think about it, it's, it's the other members of the team who are impacted as well. Because if you've, got, you know, if you've got a slacker who's just driving everyone else nuts by criticizing their work but not doing their own job,
2: uh-huh. you know,
3: it's like you can make everyone else's life better too by, by, addressing, you know, by addressing head on that slacker issue.
2: There's some interesting statistics, and I'm not going to remember the numbers, but basically, your poison pills really de- damage the morale of a whole unit pretty quickly. Yeah,
3: and people people focus right on the lead. They may not say it to your face, but but they're criticizing the leader for not taking that stuff off. Oh, yeah. So, so you know it makes you look bad as a leader and, and limits your own career prospects.
2: So on that note, let's go to break, and we'll come back and talk more about how do I use this matrix now that we understand what it is. So we will be right back with Victor Prince.
4: Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
1: You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are with Victor Prince and talking about the book Lead Inside the Box. Uh, Victor has just walked us through the quadrant model, which is the box, and the type of performers in each of the categories. So now let's shift to how do leaders use this every day?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there's a lot of different ways that that leaders can apply this tool to to help them do their job better. So so one example would be, um, you know, let's say you're taking over a new team. And you, you you look at your the tool allows you to look at your team as really a portfolio of different talents. So by by assessing each of your team members here, you can understand all right. I've got this mix of you know I got some folks who are exemplars. I got some folks who are passengers, and and you know you, you probably got a mix of of different types on your team. And then you can figure out where you're going to uh, dial down your time and energy in some quadrants to be able to invest into, in other quadrants to get the most out of your team as a whole. So, for example, if you've got, if you figure out by doing the assessment that you've got some domain masters on your team, you might say, you know what, I'm I'm going to be more hands off with them uh, so I can spend more time really helping turn around some of the uh, you know the square pegs or, or the stowaways or others because it gives you two benefits. One is you, know, you need to spend more time on those folks that are struggling, but also by dialing back on being less hands on with your domain masters, you might actually make them happier too that you're not. That you're not wasting a lot of their time, or, or kind of micromanaging them. So that's one. That's one scenario when you take over a new team. Okay. Uh, other thing, you know, organizationally, you can use this as too. Um, so, for example, um, in your in your organization succession planning. So, if if you if you use this tool to to figure out that here's where the rising stars are within the different teams, that can be a very useful thing about identifying now people who might. Uh, might need to go on to stretch roles, or if, if, a, if a leadership job opens up, you've got kind of that list of candidates that are in lower-level jobs now, but they're rising stars, so you can start grooming them to take over the bigger roles in your organization. And, and that's very important because you know, these rising stars, they, they're, they're on a career trajectory. They're going to get promoted. But if if you don't give them that growth opportunity in your company or your organization, they're going to look elsewhere, and and your company might actually lose them. And as a manager, as a leader, that's a really bad uh, thing to be known for, of of losing high talent on your team. So applying this to to find those growth, the
2: stretch areas,
3: stretch roles are are a very important thing.
2: Okay, so those are our exemplars then. Um, Let's move into the second category.
3: Yeah. So the other the other piece, you know, you can use these. It really helps create these really good individual development plans for people because when you when you get a sense of what box these your folks are following in, now it gives you a very tailored uh, approach on what you need to do with each of them. So if you've got, you know, if you've got some folks who are the square square pegs or detractors, you can very much focus on all right. We need to have a plan on how you how you. Um, Get, get up to the skills you need to do, get to the results that you need to be producing, and, and we need to kind of manage that as a job. We need to turn you around, and I need to be very active as a manager in doing that. Um, versus, you know, with, with um, you know, with, with if you look at your, um, your high-cost producers, so now once you understand that they're a steamroller or they're a square peg, you can have a very action-oriented, very specific development plan for them to either you know, stop doing some actions they're doing or build some skills or, or kind of do different practices that they're doing. So it, it gives each one of your, you have a very different leadership approach with each one of the, the different types of people on your team.
2: Okay. So that's great. It gives me an opportunity then to tailor the approach and the amount of time.
3: Yeah. Cause you know, one of the, one of the reasons I wrote this book mm-hmm. and Mike and I wrote this book was that we said, you know, over years of leading teams, you started seeing the same patterns, you know, so Geez, that uh, you know, the 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 issues I'm having with Victor today look a lot like the issues I had with you know with Joanne you know, five years ago, and and if you know if I can take the lessons I learned from that and more quickly apply them, it helps you know you and it helps the person as well. So it's it's really benefiting from all the experience and and giving a framework to more quickly apply that experience that you have from your past.
2: I, I like that there's a concise framework, right? That I can drop my names into it. Understand they're going to move around a little bit. A, and build a plan that allows me to more effectively manage them and through that liberate time and, and accru- improve the efficiency of the time I do spend with people.
3: Yeah. yeah. And many, kind of one of the neatest reviews that we got from the book was from uh, someone in Forbes magazine. And they said this, this model does for uh, people management what the, if you remember the old cash cow, dog oh, yeah. and star and strategy. it's like yep. yeah they said this this does for people management what that does for cash management of, of companies. so if you think about it, a big portfolio if you're a company you have got to figure out where to spend your cash you know this is the same thing so you know if you can dial back a little bit of time from from some folks to invest more in others you get a better overall return
2: i'm just thinking of the images of cows and dogs <laughs> <laughs> and strategy maps i've seen those on so we don't do that to our humans though right
3: yeah, and then you know one other one other point I always try to make with with the in talking about the book is so these what we're not doing is we're not labeling people to say oh Victor is a square peg and he's always going to be a square peg and that's a bad thing. It's more about you know these are performance patterns. So in the current situation that they're in, this is the performance pattern that this that you know, each person's exhibiting, and it's all about how to get them to a better place to help you as a team, to help them in their career and other things. So it's it's not about p- putting permanent labels on folks. And, and, as I said, i've I, I've been in most of these boxes you know throughout my career, and I've moved around.
2: Really, you were like a stowaway? <laughs> uh, Maybe not.
3: but yeah, you know, like you know when when you're uh, when I was about to go to business school, you know you, you kind of yeah. lose motivation if you know you're not going to work somewhere anymore. And so, yeah, you know, there's there's chances you can be in different places.
2: Okay, so it sounds like another use of this is as we're looking at where do we invest our coaching dollars. if Absolutely. If we're an organization that does coaching.
3: Absolutely, because if you know if you look at because uh, it not only does it it very specifically says this person needs to be coached on, this is their area that they need to be coached on. So it, uh-huh. it kind of helps you focus the coaching first. But then it also you, you might want to say, you know what, um, so some particularly like slackers, so if you could unlock the motivation, you might have a you might have a rising star in your hand. So you you know you might you might say, you know what, we're gonna vote invest like you know, some sort of behavioral coaching in them versus your square pegs. Maybe you invest, you know, they just, they need some basic skills training. So you can make mm-hmm. smarter choices about what types of investments you need to make in all your different folks.
2: Yeah, The example I gave of the leadership team where, where as a collective, they were below 10% on their productivity numbers. It certainly gave us an idea of where to invest and also where to correct some leadership issues.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So it sounds like if I aggregated and looked at a team or across my teams, if I have folks who... Who have concentrates either in the high area or the low area? It tells me where I should be rewarding or helping leaders improve their own efficiency. Yeah, because
3: you know the biggest thing is is it's about leading smarter. So because there's there's three f- mistakes that we see leaders do a lot. One is they just treat everyone the same. It's kind of the peanut butter approach. They mm-hmm. spend the same amount of time and energy, which is you know seems fair, but it's it's not that optimal. You wouldn't invest your money that way. Yeah. Um, another another one is just being reactive, and whoever's knocking at your door or whatever, you, you spend you know, all the time with them, and you know, that's not very very smart either. Um, so there's, you know, it's it's about being just smarter about how you're spending your time and energy.
2: It, one of the challenges I've seen is it's easy to spend my time fixing problems rather than growing stars. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. So let's shift to your next book because I am excited to hear about this. Yeah, so my uh,
3: I just signed a, a deal with uh, Amacom, the American Management Association, uh, to publish a book about the leadership lessons I learned from uh, uh, the hike I did across Spain along the Camino de Santiago trail, and it was pretty interesting. When I came back, I wrote a blog about the lessons I learned, and it and it just it went viral on LinkedIn, and so I did another one. It also went viral, so it was a. Uh, it seems to be a lot of interest and passion for people to to kind of follow that topic.
0: We
2: interviewed early on a woman, Leslie, who was a top CEO in Canada, hiked the Camino after her husband died. Uh, he he was also her business partner and ended up not only thinking about the lessons she learned, but um, moving to start an auberge or renovate a, a historic site on the Camino. Yeah, And so she, now she does that. We were talking about doing a certification program there in conjunction with her because it would just be way more fun than coming to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Less cost effective, maybe, but more interesting.
3: To me, that's pretty cheap, actually, so you can do it pretty reasonably. But. Yeah, because you're
2: walking and sleeping in um, yeah. hostels, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not hotels. That's right. So what what are one or two of the lessons that you found most interesting?
3: Yeah, it was interesting. So, the um, a lot of people write books on their Camino experience and the life lessons they get. And and mm-hmm. where I found a, a niche, it's like my first blog was here. Are the five the project management lessons I learned because in many yeah. ways the Camino is a project man. You know, it's it's taking kind of looking for the very specific work thing. So, you know, just there a lot of things about having very simple goals during the day, not letting the project plan overwhelm um, you from experiencing the thing you're going through and others. So it was. I think people really like that, which is is taking the kind of these mundane everyday business lessons out of a very extraordinary experience i think is what resonates with people hmm.
2: interesting one of the things collins talks about and i don't remember which book but this idea of the the kind of steady pace don't beat your goals one day and fall back another set consistent goals did you do that a as, as consistent distance you were shooting for every day
3: yeah. So the neat thing is you you have a very clear goal. You know, you're going to get to Santiago and it's about 500 miles and you know, you got about okay. a month to do it. So you, you kind of, and you know where you're going to stop. So the neat part about it, it's very well waymarked along the way. You've got these arrows everywhere. So uh-huh. in, you know, in other paths I've done, I've, I'm always looking at the map to make sure I don't get lost and miss a turn. But there, because okay. it's, it was way marked, I could actually experience it. I wasn't, my nose wasn't in the guidebook. I was actually living the experience, which made it so much better. And that that's sounds- lessons like that you can apply to work. You have have just very simple goals. You break up big things into very simple goals, and it helps you uh, make it a lot more simple journey,
2: yeah, because every day you're you're trying to hit a certain number of miles, right?
3: yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta get to the next place, otherwise you're sleeping under the stars.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Did you have a tent with you?
3: No you know, it's fine. I, I kind of I, I stayed in the uh, I stayed in aubergs or or hotels the whole whole long the whole way. So I don't. I don't like camping. I don't like carrying my own water, and I don't like carrying sleeping in a tent.
2: So if you missed your goals, you were kind of on the ground.
3: Yeah. So actually, one day I did mess up. I had, I somehow mistakenly had two days worth of walking in one day, and I had. So that that was a lesson to learn. Like you know, pay attention to the details.
2: I wasn't <laughs> going to sleep
3: outside. So I did like I did like thirty miles that day, which is which is pretty crazy.
2: And you didn't, presumably you had a pack of some sorts.
3: Yeah, everything I owned, you know, everything was in the backpack, which was also like a project management lesson, which is you you learn pretty quickly to only take what you need, not what you think you need. You know, so that's, that's a good way of scoping as well.
2: And the basics like shoes matter.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I did an outward bound trip in Costa Rica and I had these great leather boots uh, and they were great leather boots until my first water crossing the first day. <laughs> Uh. And they, my feet did not dry the entire rest of the trip. <laughs> oh, jeez! So leather yeah. boots get really heavy when they're wet. Yeah,
3: they don't breathe, and yep.
2: Yeah. So, so my fabulous leather boots are um, no longer part of my repertoire. <laughs> yep. It's, so yeah, it's interesting how the basics become foundational, and as leaders, it's easy to forget those. And yet the folks we're leading are, are managing basics often.
3: Yeah, because it's, it's easy to get distracted by the fancy new technology and all that when mm-hmm. sometimes it's do applying the 80-20, figure out the 20% that's going to make 80% of the difference and just be really great at that. Have the best shoes, have but you don't need all the bells and whistles. Just focus mm-hmm. on just the few things that are really important and, and get those really right.
2: That's a great way to wrap up. Focus on the few things that are really important and get them right. Yep. So I, I want to go back to the book. You've... You've walked us through the quadrants and you've talked about then which interventions do I use with each group with the underlying premise that to optimize my time and the efficiency and effectiveness of my team, I need to manage them based on where they are in the quadrants and also recognize that if I pull the right levers, I can help people move through quadrants. So being in one of the lower quadrants isn't terminal. But it is an invitation for me as the leader to invest the time and help um, my talented people, for whom we are investing money and energy, to to move into the top quadrants.
3: Yep, yep.
2: So let's wrap up with why don't you give us your website address and also you are speaking at Executive Insights. Uh, yep. Give us give us a ten second summary of that.
3: Sure. Uh, So Executive Insight, it's a a two-day conference in New York, November 10th and 11th, which is 13 sessions on um, different training. And and I'm running one of the sessions where I do a one-hour version of Teaching Lead Inside the Box. So it's it's a pretty exciting group. I'm excited to be part of that. Um, And then if you want to find out more about uh, my book and my other books, it's uh, victorprince.com. It has a lot of links to great places. and, And there's even a link to, we have a tool at our book site where you can do a, where we have the questionnaire that you can use to apply the leadership matrix to your own team. So it's a, a free tool that people find pretty valuable.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much. So this was Victor Prince, Maureen Metcalf. I hope that you heard something today that you can apply with one of the people you manage, or if you happen to be in one of those boxes yourself, how do you if you're not an exemplar, what can you move to move to the exemplar box? So not only does my boss manage me, no matter what level I am in the organization, how am I managing myself to ensure that I am accomplishing the best I can accomplish at any given point? So thank you for joining us. I hope to hear from you next week.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week.